So welcome back, everybody. We have yet another episode of the podcast series. This is a special episode because today we are talking to the woman who really fostered my interest and passion for dance, and it's Jenny McGrath. Um, she's going to talk to you a little bit about her creative practice and what it's like to be a studio owner and a dance educator um, and what it's like to have students like me, naughty. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very sweet. You were never naughty. <laughs> Miss Jenny, if you don't mind giving a little hello and a little introduction of yourself. Absolutely. So hello, I am Jenny McGrath. I own a dance studio called Fairgreaves School of Dance. And we've been um, in Pittsburgh for well over 100 years. It's something I'm just um, very humbled about and very proud of. I am the third owner, Miss um, Ruth Fairgreave. Um, owned the studio first and was actually Gene Kelly's teacher. So that is one of our claim to fame. Um, and amazing to me how many kids don't know who Gene Kelly is, but uh, I always encourage, I know, uh, very shocking. It's awful, but I always encourage them to look him up and see just the wonderful, um, wonderful things that he did. Um, so Miss Ruth then, um, uh, was succeeded in the studio by her daughter, Nancy, who um, then passed it on to me. And uh, Nancy and, and her, her cohort, her other teacher, Miss Margie, were just extremely, obviously, uh, important in forming me as a, as a dance teacher and studio owner. So basic, very quick background of our studio. Lots of love. Yes, lots of love. So something really interesting about Fairgreave, um, and I hope you could talk a little bit about this, but for all of our listeners is that it is a strictly non-competitive dance studio. Um, it is very much so. a little bit about why that is and kind of what the students gain from not competing? Absolutely. Such a good question. And it's one I'm extremely passionate about and very forthright with all of families coming in. Um, so um, I always say dance is an art and not a sport. And I hold very dear to that. And I think to turn the art of dance into a sport, um, I, I don't know why people would want to do that. It clearly isn't that. I don't know why we want to turn it into something that it's not. And the goal with a sport um, and the goal with a competition is to win, um, um, to win a medal, to win a prize, um, to win recognition. Um, in my opinion of all of that is when you do something like that, the pieces that you're creating have to be geared to, towards winning. So it takes a lot of the, the um, artistic creativity out of it, um, you're pretty much having to check boxes to win. So that would be the basic fundamental of it. The other thing too, I believe on that, I, 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 again, totally my opinion, I just don't like the culture that creates. I think to being able to create a, a piece um, from nothing from the creator, so the choreographer and the dancers to be able to perform it, that makes it just, just real and natural um, and a piece of beauty, not a piece of function. Absolutely. I mean, I could not have said it better myself. Obviously, <laughs> I've, I've grown up with you. So That's you know, true. That's true. These are values that are very much instilled in me as well. Absolutely. As but I just feel as though when you're just ticking boxes, when you're given this criteria and assessing students basically on criteria, you don't actually get to know the student and what they are trying to say. 
So the things that you get from a piece that's choreographed for um, a competition, as you're checking those boxes, a lot of those things have a wow factor, um, an aerial, uh, an extension, uh, something that all of a sudden, and even, even I am too, if I watch something on, on YouTube or see something on Instagram, I'll be like, whoa, look at that. Like, look how many turns she did. But then that wow factor leaves. But if I watch a piece that's performed as art, the the piece stays with me. So the piece is ingrained in me. I, I've um, learned and felt something from the piece instead of just an explosion of wow. I'm not, be, not saying to, um, I mean, a Broadway piece has a lot of wow and fun. And I certainly do it. I love doing character pieces, love it. I love, you know, breaking that fourth wall and, and create, you know, getting the audience involved. So there's a lot of that too. But again, you still leave feeling some kind of a joy and things like that instead of a brief explosion, like a firework. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is a bit of a tricky question then. Okay. When you do have students, how do you assess them and how do you assess their progress if we're not, you know, um, holding every student to the same criteria? What's your process and kind of just assessing where students are and where they need to be for their development? Absolutely. So um, most teachers say this, and I, I think um, good teachers see this across the board, even a, even a, uh, a teacher at a competitive studio, I, we see the students as individuals. I always see, I saw you, you know, I see you as Hallie first, you know, I see all of my students as them first. Um, and because of that, some of the beauty that we see are the students who maybe would struggle earlier on. And when they get something maybe as simple as a straight leg and pointed toe, um, boy, that's a huge accomplishment for that particular student. So I think that when you assess the kids individually like that, that I think that you see the progress. Um, something I used to, uh, to tell people about you too, and I've always thought this, Miss Margie, my teacher would say, it's easy to teach talent. You were so easy to teach for us. You've got talent, you know, so easy. But the other part that I see in you is your continual um, effort to work. You know what I mean? Your, your, your straight leg and pointed toe wouldn't have been good enough. So I see that in my kids who have talent too, that their internal drive and, and me seeing your toe pointier or pointed or your legs straighter are you trying to do better for yourself it'll be the same same type of thing so again seeing you as an individual with, with talent and someone whose talent is still evolving and growing and maybe coming at a different um, rate which I've seen in so many of my students um, some I won't name them but some of you actually know you've, I've seen that as well and it's a beautiful thing so I think seeing the individual as an individual pulling that individual out of the, the group of their class um, in your head I think that helps Absolutely. Very student-centered. Sorry. Most -centered. definitely. Most definitely. And again, that would be um, um, another characteristic. I, I would hope it would be in most studios, but certainly in ours, again, they're, they're the student first. They're, you know, my dancer by name and, um, and students first, and then we're dancers second. So we're using our dance um, for more than just learning how to dance, but for uh, and betterment of the student. Absolutely. As a person, as a person. Thank you, Miss Jenny. <laughs> yeah. I miss you, I want to give you a virtual- I miss speech. you too. <laughs> so what motivates you as an educator? What makes you get out of bed every day and say, okay, I love what I do and I want to continue to do this? So this is a, a great question. And prior to us being recorded, we just discussed this a little bit. So one of the things that happened um, during this strange time that we just came through, and it was it was bad there for a while, you know? I mean, I, I remember, um, I remember that you know the days and we didn't know when we were getting back to the studio when any of that would happen and then all of a sudden things started 
opening again. You know, I was all of a sudden able to wrap my head around some kind of, um, you know, a business plan for the business and a plan to keep my students scaling. And I was working harder than I ever worked, even though we weren't in the studio. And the thing that kept me going was it's all for the kids. It's all for the kids. It's all for the kids. And so now we're coming out of that really difficult time. Things are still wonky, but, you know, getting back to normal. But Absolutely, it's all for the kids, all for the kids. And I guess I shouldn't just say the kids too, because we've got actually a really thriving adult program. I, I, my adult dancers, I absolutely, they are a joy to me, this great niche of, of people. Um, so it's for them too. So that's actually, that's what gets me out of bed and, and gets me moving. Cause there's some days it's definitely a job, you know? Yeah. Definitely a job. But when you realize that, that this, is what I'm, this is what I'm supposed to be doing very obviously, then that keeps you going for these kids. Absolutely, and adults. And, and adults, right, my students, my students, yeah. that's right. A very inclusive environment at Fairgrave School of Dance. Very much so. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what inclusivity in dance practice means to you. Absolutely, I love this question. Uh, I actually looked it up just a little bit. I was curious about that. So I did look it up a little bit. Um, so, um, um, I come from a, a family of teachers, you know, so my husband's a teacher, three of my daughters are teachers, and not just at the studio, it's their profession in life, um, and your mom being an educator too, so I kind of wanted to see what that looked like in, in the scope of, of that, so I could compare it to the scope of a dance studio, um, and so um, Mary, my one daughter Mary, is a special needs teacher, special needs teacher, so she gets this an awful lot, and so we have taught students, um, you know, on varying levels of the spectrum, but what I think that um, the inclusivity for me would also go back to what kind of what we were just talking about so making the dance studio more than just a place to learn dance it's a happy place for kids I can't tell you how often I hear that and I know that because me as a student at the studio it was my happiest place you know a place where I could just be me and moving and doing something I loved and my friends there were wonderful I see that with my teachers as well so we all come from very different backgrounds and different things, but we hold that value to be true. So the person that might be um, feeling invisible at school does not feel invisible at the studio. Um, the students who um, are shy and awkward, they're not that at the studio. I think back, we had this one year, um, and I have no trouble saying that, um, it, one of my nieces, um, you know, not the body type of a dancer, has some, um, um, you know, social issues, has some learning issues, and definitely has a speech and hearing issue, for sure. She was in the same class with a gal who went to governor's school. I, I don't know if governor's school is still a thing, but a, an unbelievable dancer. They were in the same class, and they were friends, and they encouraged each other. So again, that whole inclusivity of, of you bettering yourself, you know, um, where you're at, I think that that helps too. Um, and we've had kids again, like on the spectrum and it's okay, you know, we've had kids have, um, uh, you know, a, just, a, just a rough day and leave the class and we'll go out and talk to them and get them back in, meeting them where they are, um, which sounds kind of like a buzzword now, but it's truly what we have to do. And it's truly what we do do there. Um, that being said, that goes with our adults too. So in the adult class right now, um, I'll have, Gosh, I have a gal who's maybe 24 and I have a grandma who's 74 and we dance together. We dance together. Um, you know, common phrase we sometimes throw around is for the love of dance. And that's what we're doing it there for. We're doing, bringing our, our best of ourselves out through the love of dance. Oh, absolutely. I love that. For the love of dance. For the love of dance, right? <laughs> 
community piece doesn't just have to be for somebody who identifies as disabled. It could be just, hey, let's just include everybody, anybody. Correct, correct. And I love that too, because you've taken your dance and you're going, um, you're going somewhere with it. Um, you know, I took my dance and, and I still am going somewhere with it. I love that. But then we also have the kids there who are taking um, a different part of their dance world that won't be there, there every day when they graduate. You know, it's, it's a fact, but so what we give them and what we teach them um, where they are in the studio, um, the kid who can put their leg up all the way to their ear and the kid who can barely get it to 90 degrees, you know, they're still gaining something really important. I think that's a, a, a great thing. Absolutely, yeah. So I want to know how you would define the word creativity. That was a great one. I think some of the something neat about us um, getting to talk to each other is I, I got to actually think and go inside of my head a little bit more. And I, 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 I think that in itself helps to define creativity. Um, creativity for a dancer, I think, is, is, is very interesting because um, it comes from us. We can dance without the music. We can dance without um, an apparatus. Um, and, and most every form of music, I would say maybe except for singing, has another another component to it. So we get to create from ourselves. And I think that that's neat. So I would say it would be taking um, inspiration from without or from within and developing something. And what we develop is um, kinetic, you know, developing a feeling, um, bringing something, in our case, maybe to life, you know. Um, I think as well that, um, I tend to be creative in other parts of my life too, as I was thinking that, you know, I think that, that if my kids said something about me, they'd be like, oh, she's creative. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy textile and fiber and um, nature and things like that. So all those things that are creative, it's seeing past and seeing through um, whatever your um, physical components might be, whatever your physical components might be. Wow. I hope that helps. That's a good, that's a good question. I should look that up in the dictionary to see. <laughs> I almost don't want people to though, because it's like creativity, I feel is such a real personal, it I don't even know how to describe it. It's a personal thing. It's kind of like an expression of you. It, it is you yes. in a way. For sure. I like how you said that too, because then, um, what we create is left to people and dancing and in dance without the without the um assistance of a, of a video or something like that it evaporates so i think that's actually a really cool thing about it you know if you create um a piece of artwork it's tangible and ours is so intangible you know but i like that that you're creating something to leave to somebody mm, that like evaporates that, that is such a gone good. it's gone i often tell people too when we you know when we do a show um and I think this is well when I've watched my kids do sports and things like that. When you're holding the video to video something, you're not with them. You're with your your screen. You know, you're looking you're looking at something that's not dimensional. You know, um, but when you're looking at a, a piece of art, you know, you're you're with them and involved with it. It's it's a neat thing. I feel like now is the time that I tell you that I think about creativity a lot as improvisation the two go hand in hand for me and you are mm -hmm. actually the first person who introduced me to improvisation oh gosh I probably didn't have anything to do in class and said improv right I probably got through everything and I'm like let's improv 
<laughs> I can see that in you though. And I'll tell you something interesting we've noticed, which would not be with you because you are imaginative. You're imaginative and creative. And what we've noticed, um, um, what we've noticed is that as kids get older, we've noticed this more in the past several years or past few years, I should say, than we did years in years past earlier than that, is that um, older, older kids now can't imagine as much. You know, they just can't imagine as much. My younger kids have no trouble imagining still. Um, although I see that that is kind of fading a little bit as well. So that whole imagination, I, I know it makes me really sad too. <laughs> so that whole imagination, imagination process really plays into our creativity, don't you think? Being able to improv, right? Without, um, without feeling self-conscious. Well, that's something I'm interested in exploring. And I, I almost want to, I want to ask you, why do you think that is? Why do you think? I, 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 have, I have lots of ideas on that. I think it has a lot to do with, with cell phones and things like that. I think a lot of things with cell phones, um, video games, things like that. Um, my older four children just didn't have that. Like they remember a world without that. Our 13 year old does not remember a world without that. You know, what, what happens when you have a screen like that, and we'll take video games, for instance, or even things with Pinterest, but video games is probably my best example, that you are telling a visual screen what to do. You know what I mean? So you're not imagining it. You are telling that screen, I push this button, and my character will do this with his hand. You know what I mean? So you can't imagine, you know that's going to happen. So the way we combat it, um, and I'm very blessed that our 13-year-old um, loves to read. So when you read a book, right, he does, he does, he does both, uh, you know, everything in moderation. But when you read a book, you have to imagine what it looks like. You know, I mean, it's telling you what your, what your character did, but you have to imagine the setting it, it's in. You have to imagine what it, your character is feeling. So I think that that is part of it, that so much now which sounds funny because I'm a very extremely visual and kinetic person, very, very visual. So, um, so it sounds funny to say that, but for the uh, imaginative process to thrive, I think kids need to get away from this, from the screen. That's my, that's my thought process on that. I definitely agree. I definitely agree because I think that a lot of times when you're younger and you're, you know, you're creating these games. I know when I was little, that weird in-between stage where there were electronics but yeah right because you're just you're just a little bit older or a little bit younger than my you know child number four right just a smidge yeah I think some kids tended to go more towards the technology but I know For my sure. sister and I and then a lot of the kids in our neighborhood we we were outside every day and we were like Imagining and pretending. Flip side of that too, that's great for us educators then to be able to bring that creativity, that process back. Um, and this might be like leaping forward or elsewhere. Um, in my lyrical class, I, I fully believe that once we get to the uh, you know, the higher level lyrical class. Hopefully we have some technique behind us. So, um, well, it's taught with technique, we explore our artistry and that is so important. I love hearing, and I'm sure that's where we improv. I had to have been improving in lyrical class, had to have been. Um, I like seeing what the kids are thinking and letting them help us form something. I really do take their ideas, um, you know, like, like, what do you think we should put here? How should we get up off the floor? I like them to, I like to kind of foster the creativity in them and know that I really take that to heart. There might be something I'm going to be like, that is clearly not what I'm looking for, but sometimes it is. Or I'll say, um, oh, I don't know. Um, 
like, let's think of different ways we can move our arms here, you know, things like that. Or I'll, I'll say, can you make this work for me? Here's what's in my head. Can you make this, you know, if I tell you what's in my head, can you put this on a body, on your body? And I like seeing that. I think that's so important for the kids. And that's precisely why I teach lyrical that way. Very artistic and kid involved because when we're older, I can get their adult opinions, their young adult opinions, you know? I think it's important for students to feel as though they have a voice. They have a class. Absolutely. Most definitely. Mm -hmm. What do you think that a really safe dance space involves? Good question. I like that. I like that. I, I would hope that we are that. We are at our studio, extremely family oriented. Um, and I think that that's the type of clients that I bring into my studio. So, you know, I, I res respect the parents' opinions over their children very much so, you know? So as far as something like that, I think uh, uh, me respecting the parents, I think they hopefully respect me as well because now I have some age to me, you know, just being a little bit older. And I have, I'm like, and I have ground under my feet having raised all of my own gaggle of children underneath of me. So I think that that helps. So I think that there's, um, um, your values and morals, I think, hold true. So on values and morals, I think that that as well with, um, we try and be very um, aware of our, our content in our music, our moves in our choreography, and the costumes that we're dressed in. I think those three things also create a safe space. Um, um, being well aware that the majority of our students are, um, are young girls, so body image is extremely important to them. However, on that side of things, I never see body. I don't, I don't see size or shape. I, again, I always see the person. So I think that that as well makes them feel safe. Along that line too, um, our teachers are varying ages, but like, very like-minded with me. So I think that they can come to each of us. Um, now, as far as like safety in the world today, our studio is extremely open open doors all the time, windows everywhere. When we put my um, office in the new space, I'm like, no doors, don't put windows in. I actually like seeing people come through the doors. I like seeing them come to me. We are open all the time. So like safe space like that, I think that we have covered pretty well. Um, safe, uh, safety in dance, Many schools have thoughts on the thought on this as well, but I firmly believe in not overstretching to extreme. I think that that's become something that's um, um, potentially competition driven. Um, so not every dancer is a contortionist. Certainly, there are people who are hyper flexible, which in its own right has um, pluses and minuses as well. But things like that, hyperextension, I don't believe in. I'm very curious and kind of concerned what we're going to see in dancers coming up who have been hyper stretched because I know what my body feels like now, you know, um, and so and I was and I was not hyper stretched. So I, I just can only imagine what will come up like that. Um, and safety on that end as well too. dancers who are professional like you are too. Um, we give our all knowing that we're gonna hurt later on. You know, uh, professional sports players do the same thing. We are gonna give our all for this brief point in time where we can, knowing that when we hit older, there's a good chance that we're gonna hurt, right? 23 years old, Miss Jenny, and I've got psoriatic arthritis in my fingers. Bingo! I, yeah, here's it, yeah, and I'm like, my back, I'm like, oh, it's twinging today, you know? My hip, like, oh. So, yeah, so that's, that's part of it too. But hopefully that answers that question, you know, safety, okay. um, safety concerns of the world and safety concerns of the physical. Mm -hmm. And honestly, knowing that stretching and overstretching, that's not really necessarily no. helpful all the time. 
and that yeah. cause damage. And Correct. especially for the general dance population, right? No, right. Especially knowing, hey, these kids, half of them are not going to go be prima ballerinas. And that's not, a yeah, it's small percentage, right? But it's just kind of taking a look at that teaching practice and saying, what's not working? Correct. What should we ditch and what should we keep? <laughs> I like that too. Um, and this might answer a question you have later on, but I really thought about this as well, is that I, um, so often my teachers and I will, <laughs> we joke about this, like we don't meet, we actually talk to each other, you know? So we don't have meetings, we actually just talk to each other. But so many times I'll be like, what do you think of that? Or, um, and so many times we're aligned on things like that, you know, aligned on like, um, um, maybe like when to start our dancers on point. We all we are always very like-minded on things like that. Um, I don't see a benefit to the business to start students younger on things like that or add hyperextension classes and things like that. I don't see a benefit to the business other than money. And I don't think that's a, a benefit because it's not benefiting the child. And it wouldn't be a truly student-centered space. Correct. Correct. If you were making business-based decisions. Correct. Correct. Which has to be hard sometimes as a studio owner. Would you talk to me a little bit about when you have to balance out what's best for the student versus what's I best for your will. business? I will. Um, and actually, um, um, I pulled out a book. I knew right where to look. So at the studio on my um, tuition um, poster with the two wishes for the year. At the very bottom is a, is a quote that I found many, many years ago, and I put it about on the bottom. Can I read that to you? Is that all right? Okay. So it's actually Jim Henson, who's probably what a favorite of mine, you know, Jim Henson, creator of the Muppets, favorite of mine, um, probably one of the most creative people I can think of, huge fan. So in one of his books, it says, we're primarily a company of creative people whose art we're helping to bring to the world. At that same time, we recognize that business enables art to happen, and that business plays an essential role in communicating art to a broad audience. As both artists and business persons, we understand the value of both world, worlds, and so we bring them together in a way that facilitates the realization of our artistic vision. So what that always tells me, that in order for, in order for art to happen at my studio, my business end has to be sound. Um, and, and it, it is, um, and I think because of that, we were very blessed to get through business-wise something businesses have never seen, be never seen before. And I think that because of that, like my business sense, um, I think because of my business sense, then we're able to take where we are now and, and grow forward. So, um, and uh, most people, some people know this and probably not everyone does. So my, my major in college was business. And I was a dance, uh, I was a dance major prior to that, just burned out very rapidly, went into business. Clearly I needed both of those. So my business head and my dance head, I need both all the time. And sometimes they butt up against each other and there's never a direct, Someone doesn't always win, you know what I mean? I have to look at it very much with my heart and my head. I absolutely have to use them both. As in, if we um, need a prop for a number, which I've done many times and spend a good deal of money on this prop and it's a big beast, there's times I'll just do it. Do you know what I mean? For the sake of the art. So that time, those times the business end doesn't win. If I see a costume that's really overpriced and it would look great on my dancers, we don't do that. Exactly. I, I kind of, I got to look, I got to have to look at the, the benefit and the cost value of that, of that as well. So the business and art, but all the times, the other place that they, um, 
buttheads would be in things of the culture or the nature. So when we, um, this has been fascinating recently too, that we found now since kids have such access to um, everything, I shouldn't even say some things, kids have, if you've got a phone, you have access to everything. So where are we, um, even though we've, we've missed some things in the past, we try really hard to get our content and our words appropriate in our music, right? But even if we do that, knowing the kids can go online and snatch that song, buy that song from iTunes with that inappropriate content in there, that's something that business-wise, we really have to weigh stuff like that. And we truly do, we truly do. Um, and I think the other thing that comes to play now in the business world versus the creative world, um, it's fascinating to me anymore, is the fact of commercial dance as opposed to um, learning dance, you know what I mean? Things like things like that. So what kids see on TV, um, what they see on Instagram, things like that. So not all of it, but some of it is very commercial dance, which the commercial dance money builds those businesses. They do the, a lot of the things that they do to increase their um, fiscal value, things like that. So we have to be kind of worried about things like, not worried, um, aware, aware. Yeah. Of that too. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> no, I think it did. I think it did. And you have to consider these things because otherwise, I mean, dance is all well and good, but we need to be funded. We need to be paid at the end. For of the sure, for sure. Now, honestly, haven't you seen that? Again, since I'm a business, I was able to do things a little bit differently, but gosh, my heart grieves for our cultural, like our cultural district communities, for our stages gosh, like gosh, you know, the professional dancers out there, I, I, this is going to be interesting to see how the business end of things is able to bring back the artistic ends of things there, you know? Oh, absolutely. I've been thinking a lot about this as well. And I feel like this is an idea you might resonate with, but one of the big things that I thought as we come out of this pandemic mm -hmm. and we recover from it is that in order for dance to keep moving and to keep going on and for it to be funded, or to be making money, be profitable. Mm -hmm. My opinion is we have to stop gatekeeping dance as high art because dance is movement. Dance is for the community. I love that. I love that. Something that's been fascinating too about the adults, how many adults are dancing now just for the joy of it? It's different than, um, than teaching a fourth grader or a high schooler dance, the pure joy of that. And I think that's a really neat niche to get, like you're saying, get out in the community to, to people realize that they can come in and dance. A couple of people I've seen on, um, on Instagram, and I'm just fascinated by them. I'm like, look at these adult dancers, some of them whose legs, obviously my leg can't go into 90 degrees in the back at all. There's no way, unless I have some assistance, you know, but it doesn't matter. So the more people, I think you're right, that we can get dancing, for reasons that are not the, well, I actually are adults perform. There's good, wonderful stuff to perform, but reasons other than what we're saying, you know, um, the benefits of a competition or an award or things like that. The most wondrous things happen from moving and dance. And I think that as we're talking about this, I think that might be part of solving people's creativity and imagination that we need as adults as well. You can't problem solve without imagination. I honestly think that they could teach dance classes in lieu of some math classes because math is really certain problem solving, right? That's what you're learning. Sure. 
not sure. everybody's going to become a mathematician and it's important don't it is right you know, mathematicians out there don't come for me but you know why can't we have that's like the logical side of things the intellectual side of things some kids don't resonate with that I mean we've got kids with learning difficulties kids that just don't understand numbers kids with dyslexia who mix them up I mean that's stressful correct, correct. why don't we have a movement-based way of problem solving I love that. I love that. And there too, don't you think as well? Um, um, and I've seen this with my older kids as a mom, I tell them this all the time. Like when you're going to an interview, it's, it's a performance. Do you know what I mean? And as performers, we know how to, how to bring that out of us. Yeah. Uh, or if, if my kids give a speech, you know, when my 13 year old gives a speech, I'm like, it's a performance, you know? So we get that and the performing end of things. And I think one of the other benefits that, um, that adults and students like you're talking about, or even students like yourself, when we perform and dance, all of a sudden, like, we're like, we did that. What self-confidence you get? What a boost. Like, I didn't think I could do that. And I did it. You know, that's it. It's not even performing itself. It's when you come off stage, that's it. Right. Right. Or for, for certain, for you, I don't know, dancing at home. And you're like, I did that. You know, it gives you boost of self-confidence to know that movement and things like that can make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to switch the topic a little bit away from kind of the business end of things. And sure. I want to talk to you as a teacher, as an yeah. educator. And I want to know a bit about why you chose this life path. What really um, sealed the deal for you? When did you realize, yeah, this is what I want to do? Okay, so this will sound totally cliche, and I don't believe in, I have five kids, we do not have time in my world for cliche, right? <laughs> but it sounds totally cliche. A hundred percent, this chose me. You know, I started dancing at this studio that I now own when I was nine, and my goodness, I loved absolutely everything about it, you know? And then I danced pre-professional in college, so I took that and went somewhere with it. Um, and because I didn't go into the performance end of things, um, being an assistant teacher and sticking with the studio, it was just natural for me. So I mean, definitely, you know, it called me like Moana, right? <laughs> it called me. Uh, and when it was given to me, I knew exactly that this was what I was supposed to do, you know? And even, even now, even days when it seems like a job, and I can, I can take this back kind of towards um, what we had been through, um, when I didn't know, like, are we gonna be able to keep our doors open and I was looking in the, I don't know, online, like what if I have to find some other profession? I don't want another profession, you know? And there's certainly other ones I, I can do. I, you know, I'm great at retail, I love retail. I, I was a waitress. I'm totally fine serving people. I love talking to people. I don't want to do anything else. So I, I think that that shows you're a good teacher too. And I think I've come to realize um, the more I teach, we are nonetheless dancers because we were not and we're nonetheless professional dancers. You know, I think what makes you a professional dancer would technically be, you know, by um, definition, being paid to do something. I, I would, I would, I, I mean, I, I guess you could think of that different ways, but you know what I mean? Like I, I am paid to teach dance, therefore I'm a professional dancer, you know what I mean? My tutu wasn't on the stage after a certain period of time, you know, other with my adults, my tutu still goes on when I dance with my adults, you know, but, but yeah, and this is wonderful too. And how many people we reach, how many people we reach? I think that's extremely important um, as, a, as an educator, you know what I mean? Um, we, we have no clue, I don't think, how many people we reach. So important. Never will, will you? Mm -mm. Nope. 
Nope. Or, or I would, I would venture to say as well, um, any more than um, uh, like an elementary school teacher or a preschool teacher. It's a teacher nonetheless from a professor. They're, they're both teachers. It's just what our um, path is, I guess, you know? Absolutely. Oh, Miss Jenny, I'm wondering now, knowing everything that you know, and just kind of going on this path that you've gone on, if you just had to give advice to emerging educators and aspiring educators like myself, what would you tell us? Here's what I would do, and I've thought about this a lot lately, um, and I think as well because of us, of me being, um, I, I, because I don't use social media and things where I see other studios and things do that. And so what I have learned from that, that we don't have a Facebook account, I don't have an Instagram account for very valid reasons. And sometimes I'm like, goodness, maybe I need to get one of those for, for, for the studio. But I've come to realize you need to be true to your, um, I sometimes say true to your brand. Do you know what I mean? I need to be true to who I am. Um, and that makes me um, not hypocritical people know where they stand and hopefully they, hopefully it's as friendly. I don't mean to say like, you know, mean or firm or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? But, but you get me, I am Miss Jenny, like through and through and through, whether I'm making my kids dinner in the kitchen or I'm teaching kids in the studio. So you have to be really true to yourself, which again, sounds kind of cliche, but, um, and, and that evolves and that grows. Here's me, you know, me, um, over 50, here's me over 50 and I'm like, it is perfectly fine for me to be true to my brand. I like my brand. And if my brand means I have 150 students one year and um, I have 200 another year, it's my brand. And if you, that's what you want, then this is who I am. So I think that that's what I would say to educators, be true to yourself. That being said too, I always enjoy still growing. And like we talked, I like to listen to what my kids are talking about. I don't wanna be stagnant. I, I like to take the what's true from the old because no school like the old school. Ballerinas get that, right? There is no school like the old school. And then I like to pull from the stuff I, I know that fits my brand and there's different ways to do it and different ways to say it. That keeps the creativity going and it keeps us not stagnant, right? I love that. I really do. I think it's important to be true to what you resonate with and what sure. fits with you because you wouldn't be able to go out into the world and kind of deliver that if it wasn't something you truly believed in. Correct, it's almost, almost like a lie. You don't know which flip you're, switch you're flipping, you yeah. know? And you I know? think it reflects well on you as an educator. When the parents come and they wanna sign their kids up for classes, they know what they're getting. Yeah, for sure they do, for sure. And if they don't, and if they don't like that, that is 100% fine. There's plenty of places that have something different and then that's where they should go. I think that you attract, I think you attract what you are, um, like in life and as a teacher and as a studio. I guess on my end of things with what our studio does, if I can plant that seed like we did with, with you, oh, <laughs> you know, that's an, an amazing thing. I think that that's more of my goal. Um, yeah. thing. I always say I wouldn't be where I am today if I had gone to one of those pre-professional places, to be honest, because probably, I would have I burnt out. Right, right. I was comfortable, happy, and very included I guess it might be the right word, but my family was at Fairgrave, you know what I mean? So that really developed something wonderful in me. Um, and then my pre-professional, uh, my goodness, you know, I didn't know when you'd be walking like a master class or some of these pre-professional things, all of a sudden your, your, your bum cheek squeeze, right? You're like all nervous, right? You know? You're really tall. You're really tall, ain't you? Like all of a sudden you stand really tall. Right, right. At a pre-professional place, it's a different, 
end that you're trying to attain. You know, you're trying to attain a professional end. You're trying to attain a job, a career, or something like that. So, definitely. It seems really appropriate to be concluding this session with some of our thoughts about the pre-professional versus recreational dance world. Because while my experiences of Fair Grieve weren't exactly pre-professional, they did prepare me to go into the water dance world and prepared me for my own journey as a dance educator. Because Miss Jenny was the first dance teacher to really believe in me and to give me that self-confidence that I needed to take the leap into my professional training. She taught me so much more than technique. She taught me how to have a passion for dance and she continues to do that with her students today. I'm so grateful for the chance to talk to Miss Jenny and to revisit so many of those values and morals that I have now as a dance educator that were really instilled into me all the way back when I began my training. There's something so important about knowing where we come from, but also in knowing what it's like to be in the business of dance and when you have to place those business decisions over educational decisions. It's a really interesting conversation that we need to be having. Thank you everybody for tuning in today to this very, very special episode and one that I've been particularly excited about making. I hope that you continue on this journey with me by tuning into my next episodes as well. I'm happy teaching everybody and I will speak to you again soon.